This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Let's move on to June Chan, who will be our last speaker in this session. A lot of folks uh, asking me about diet and exercise and, and recommendations during the lunch break. And uh, we're lucky enough to have June, who's an expert in this area, and it leads a group that's been doing research in this area for quite some time. So, June. They were up? Yeah. Okay. Hi, good afternoon. I'd just like to thank my colleagues and the organizers for inviting me to be here and thank all of you for being here for a pretty long and intensive day. So I applaud you for your patience and interest. Um, so just before I get started, so I'm a professor of epidemiology, biostatistics, and urology. I am a cancer epidemiologist by training. I'm trying to get this thing to angle down. Everyone still hear me in the back? Great. So how much time should I take? Because <laughs> we got, we're behind schedule, so I want to know. It's 2.40. Okay. Okay. Um, first of all, I brought these. They were hot off the press. They got to deliver to my house last night, and they could not get into your bags. So these are general guides, postcards on healthy eating tips made in collaboration with our Cancer Center Community Advisory Board. And so just feel free to pass them out. I did bring about 300. Those are general healthy tips. Then the other thing to make sure people know is working with Stan and supported by the Department of Urology, um, Peter Carroll and Stan, they supported that we printed some of our diet and exercise guides. Let's go to my next slide. Okay, I'll just listen this up while I talk. So these guides, if they're not in your bag, they also should be on your USB drive. Or you can get them free off our website. So look like Google Lifestyle Studies at Urology UCSF. Um, Stan might still have a few of the blue booklets left. We were short of the blue booklets yesterday. I carried in 80 of them this morning with me. So please take them. I do not want to carry them home. <laughs> it was very heavy. Uh, OK, so we have limited time. So I was trying to think, what should I do in this limited time? Well, since now you have these guides, which we created in conjunction with the Cancer Center nutritionists, my team and I, and with Stan and several great other patient advocate volunteers who are really dedicated to the cause of making sure everybody understands good tips for diet and exercise. So I've kind of just put up here our big gestalt, right? These are your good starting tips. For those of you who are sitting in the room with me, uh, you understand I generally promote foods first, focusing on the foods, and then there are many other levels of advice that you can get to, which actually, with Stan's urging, we got to in that blue book. So for some of you who asked me questions in the room, I found many of those, we did answer them in that book. <laughs> if, I was, if I said, I'm not quite sure, I think so, I looked, it's in the book. So please reference that book, the blue one. So the first one is overall diet and lifestyle. Second one is really just focused on diet. So we know a lot of things that could potentially benefit people. I want to say that we have changed, as a research scientist, we had to change how we studied prostate cancer because of PSA screening. It was not sufficient to look at primary prevention of total prostate cancer. 
Because of screening, we now understand there's indolent disease, there's aggressive disease. So a lot of our research is really focused on once you've been diagnosed, what can people do to prevent getting the bad kind, the aggressive tumors, the tumors that will metastasize, cause fatality, lethality, and death. So that's, this list is our best guess at that. So it's really focused on people after diagnosis, what can you do then? So today, because we have limited time and now you have all those books, I just wanted to provide a little update or some updates on some of the work our team is doing and where things have come from. So on the, these might go a little fast, but in the book, you'll see us talk about exercise. Our team published in 2011 two pivotal studies linking exercise to prostate cancer-specific outcomes. It's well known that exercise helps all-cause death. So the green bar here is the outcome of all-cause death. The blue bar is the outcome of prostate cancer mortality. And Stan told me, use the mouse pointer. Where is it? Okay, here we go. So right here. So the way you read these charts, if you're not used to it, you're looking at a relative risk. So you're looking at the risk associated with doing more exercise versus less. So three is less, 48 is a lot. Right here in the middle, that's about 30 minutes of walking six most days of the week or 30 minutes of jogging three days a week. Not surprisingly, you see a benefit. The green bar, right, goes down. So your risk is lower. It's statistically significantly lower. That's what this little black vertical bar tells you. It's beneath the one line for all-cause death. It's trending down for the blue, but it's not statistically significant. What was novel in our publication was that at the highest levels of physical activity, a benefit was seen for prostate cancer-specific death. So that was novel in 2011. And at that level, that's pretty intense, though. That's like an hour of jogging every single day. Not everybody does this. We know this. Okay, so at the same time, we had a different study. So that study was done in about 2,700 men with localized prostate cancer looking at the outcome of metastatic disease or prostate cancer-specific death. At the same time, we had another study done here in about 1,500 men looking at prostate cancer recurrence developing in men originally diagnosed with non-metastatic disease. What was interesting about this study is the men weren't doing that level of intensity of activity, so we couldn't actually study it. But we could look at walking pace and how much people said they were walking. And the interesting trend that's shown in this graph is basically depicting that there was a lower risk of prostate cancer recurrence associated with faster walking pace, self-reported faster walking pace. Okay, so that's in the books, but also shared here. So since that, so those both those studies came out in 2011, I'm happy to share that there's more data out there now substantiating these initial results. And actually, potentially good news for some people, even at lower levels of activity. So in 2011, we were like, oh God, seven hours of jogging a day. How are we going to get people to do that to get a benefit, right? Or walking really fast. Walking really fast is what we've aimed for. We have a number of clinical trials that I'll tell you about a little bit later focused on brisk walking because of that finding. However, in the interim, here's a study that came out of the Cancer Prevention Study 2 focused on over 5,000 men, also again diagnosed with prostate cancer. So again, we're just looking at exercise after diagnosis. And they saw a benefit for prostate cancer death at much lower levels. So the comparison there of that 17.5 versus 3, that's much closer if you look back here on this slide, to that middle category of like 30 minutes of jogging or a 30-minute walk most days of the week, right? So that may be much more doable for people. So that was a heartening result. So recreation exercise 
had a benefit for prostate cancer death. And then another study came out. So there's now the fourth study looking at prostate cancer death and physical activity after diagnosis. So this study, just to explain the lines here, this is all-cause death. Basically, the dotted line is people who are, have more activity. And then the red line is people with less activity. And so you see a separation of the curves, and they're having better survival with the dotted line. That's for all-cause death and prostate cancer death. And again, this is, I checked. This level of activity here is incorrect. They duplicated the figure from up there. So the comparison for recreational activity, again, was at that more moderate level of a bit of a walk most days of the week, right? So the takeaway from all that, if you can do this, that's great. Keep doing that. If you want to get heart, you know, more intense activity, I strongly recommend going to a trainer, getting consults, working on not just aerobic activity, but also strength training, flexibility, coordination. But the really great news is I feel better now from our studies, plus the other ones that came out, that you can say even a walk is going to help. Something is going to help. Not being sedentary may actually offer a benefit, not just for all-cause death, but for prostate cancer-specific mortality. That's where the data are trending. These are not, with the caveat, those are not clinical trials. These are observational data. It's done by surveying large groups of people like yourselves times like 10,000, and then, and then looking at what happens to people. So there are some limitations. However, at this moment, the best data that we look at as scientists looks like this is great, right? So keep moving and keep exercising. And if you were sitting in my session during lunch, I know people that are at all different places, and I just want to share uh, something that was told to me a few weeks ago by a bladder and a prostate cancer survivor. And he said, you know, June, I don't exercise. I'm not really an athlete. I hate going to the gym. I've never seen myself this way. But he's like, you know what, though? I went to this talk like, from a support group. And he said, the doctor just said, do something. Something's better than nothing. A little bit helps. And that was enough to get him out the door. And he said he just started taking a walk. He started taking his aged mother, who has a walker, out for a walk regularly. And now he's kept up that habit. For those of you who heard me earlier, if I can't get in my exercise in a day, here's my embarrassing story, I will literally be at home talking to my son and doing this. Or I'll be standing in front of the TV or folding laundry or waiting for water to boil in my kitchen. Because the data actually do suggest that just substituting light physical activity <laughs> as opposed to, not to pick on Rahul, but he's sitting next to me, <laughs> actually has a mortality benefit. <laughs> not just for prostate cancer, for all people for death. Okay, so for it, there are big studies now that actually just show light, if you can substitute light physical activity, 10 minutes of this versus 10 minutes of that, it actually has a benefit on your health. Again, so sorry. So my hope is that we don't have places like this, like my vision is that we have conference rooms or classrooms where there's bigger spaces and it's socially acceptable that you can be listening in class and doing this. That's my vision, but I'm weird, so okay. <laughs> But I share that because I want to inspire people. I told someone else, if you're really a couch potato, like stand up and do that during the commercials. Try that with yourself one day, one show, and see how it goes. Okay. Again, a lot of the dietary stuff is in those booklets. I'm not going to belabor all those details, but I just wanted to put, again, some updates out there for you. So here's a nice picture of things we would recommend to eat. One of the things in our studies that we asked was also, well, what if you did all that? 
and you did the vigorous exercise, and you were normal weight, and you didn't smoke. How much benefit could there possibly be? So this is a study that we published. It is cited in our book, but basically, again, you're looking for the downward trend below the one line. If people did five of six of those healthy diet and physical activity things and not smoke, there was about a 68% lower risk of lethal prostate cancer. So this was done in men, again, diagnosed with non-metastatic disease initially, looking at their habits close in time to the time of diagnosis, after diagnosis, and then what happened to them later over time. And then again, this other slide over here is just showing the benefits solely for diet. So my takeaway is that diet and exercise could have a benefit. If you do all the things, that's good. And the diet things by themselves also have a benefit. So it's not, you know, for a while the data for exercise were trending stronger. So we wanted to know, is it really just that people who eat well also exercise and it's just substituting the effect? But it does suggest that diet also has a separate effect. If you're curious, the things on here that we were recommending healthy body weight, three hours or more vigorous activity a week, or seven hours per week of brisk walking, not smoking, or quit more than 10 years ago, eating tomatoes, cooked tomatoes preferably, fatty fish, avoiding processed meat. Those were what was in there. So this is great. And based on just if we did an estimate that if everybody in our study did the five or six things versus none, it's possible, this is just an estimate, population data, not a trial, it's possible that for every 100 people that met get lethal prostate cancer, you'd prevent about 40 of those cases. 40 to 40, it was 47, but let's just be conservative and say 40. So, so that was promising. However, how many people would do all those things? You don't have to raise your hand. What do you guess, though? How, what percentage of people do you think do those things? What percentage? 20. I heard 20. Say they do them or two. Do them? Well, okay, say they do them. It's less, probably less than 10%. In our study, it ranged between 7.5 and 10%, depending on when we assessed it, self-reported data. Keeping in mind that's data from a study of health professionals, okay? So in the general population, what percentage of people are probably doing that? A whole lot less, or let's just say less, okay? So one of the other areas of research that we're now pursuing is how to help people do these things. One is to get the word out, and then also to provide supportive tools. So we had a pilot study that was published this year. If any of you participated in the study, thank you very much. This was called the Prostate 8 study, led by my colleague Stacy Kenfield. And so basically in this study, we asked the question, if we provide people with the, date, the information, like what you got in those books, and some supportive tools, which could be in the format of a Fitbit, or in that case it was the old time that you clip on, some text messaging systems that would give you reminders a few times a week, uh, some shopping guides, some menus, some recipes. We're trying to come up with a sustainable package and to see if people would make lifestyle changes in a short term. So this study ran for 12 months in patients who are pursuing active surveillance or, or surgery here at UCSF. Again, we, the guide, the, what we recommended is shown here on the board. Uh, basically, the similar to what I said, healthy fats, vigorous activity, cruciferous, tomatoes, fish, don't eat processed meat, avoid tobacco. And we did talk about don't take supplements as thus you've reviewed it with the health professional because we are aware, you're, you should be aware, there are some large-scale studies that have looked at common single supplements actually possibly not being good for prostate cancer. Um, they're in the books. Uh, I can take questions later if you have questions about that. 
But we just wanted people to be aware at an educational level that that could happen, there could be adverse effects. So it was kind of nice. We showed that in the short term, for some of the dietary metrics, we were able to move the bar. So people in the study, in the intervention arm, adopted some of the dietary practices. It's a little bit harder for physical activity is what we noticed. So this was a pilot. The other thing is, by and large, people liked the tools, the text messaging, the website, et cetera. So those are the percentage who are satisfied, you know, good or better. So that's good. So where are we now? We have a number of clinical trials open here at UCSF pursuing these questions. So the first one up there is geared at men on active surveillance. We're really trying to zero in on the aerobic exercise and what is that doing biologically that might trigger pathways that are beneficial for deterring cancer progression. Um, the second one is prostate 8, so building off that pilot study I just showed you. This is taking feedback from all the participants in that first pilot study, creating a better box of tools, hopefully tailored more to what people want. And it's still called Prostate 8 because we like the name, but there's actually 15 recommendations now on what the people should do um, and giving tools. So we have that running now. That's a little bit longer. We're trying to see if we can sustain the intervention over a longer period, two years. The first one was just three months. And now we're really also curious about pursuing the question, if you recall, everything I've quoted so far were studies that started in men who had non-metastatic disease and then progression forward. We're very interested in also addressing, well, what if you started? Or what if you have advanced disease now? Is this going to offer benefit? Are these things going to help? There's a few provocative pieces of data out there that suggest, A, exercise is safe, and it might help, but we wanted to do a bigger trial. So we are now involved actually in two trials. This one's here based at UCSF. Uh, thank you to Eric and Hoyle and others here who've referred patients for this. But again, this is high-intensity interval training, aerobic or strength for men uh, with metastatic disease, looking at biological outcomes as well as just feasibility. Can people do this? Do they like it? So again, all of these are open here. You do not have to be, I want to be very clear, you don't have to be a patient here at UCSF to be in these studies. You do, we, this is open to the community. We do ask that you do come twice, though, to the fitness center over at Mission Bay to have exercise orientation, some blood work done, and an exercise test. So two times during the study period. So it's open to the community. Um, if you're interested, please contact us right there, urologyresearch at ucsf.edu. Or my name's june.chan at ucsf.edu. Okay, so lastly, some other initiatives that we're working on. So like this morning or this afternoon in the lunchroom, we get asked all kinds of great questions from people about specific supplements or specific dietary practices. And the truth is, while we've done some really exciting, great work, in cancer survivors, there's not as enough data, not that much data, actually, on what happens after diagnosis going forward or going after that. And so we're actually initiating, initiating a first-of-its-kind new digital cohort study focused on cancer survivors. We will pilot it in prostate, bladder, and colorectal cancer patients, open to everybody. It will be digital. We are in a phase of trying to do some user testing and focus groups. Again, if you're interested, please contact us. We're very interested in broad participation, diverse participation. We're hoping that this is a kind of study that can actually collect the data that other studies haven't in the past. Like, I take turmeric, or I do intermittent fasting, or I do this, and we're trying to work on improving our nutritional data collection methods that will allow us easily, hopefully, not a burden on the participant, to collect this sort of data. So that's one effort. And then PATH is focused on men. We also want to know what do men with advanced 
sorry, with advanced prostate cancer on androgen deprivation therapy, what are they interested in seeing or doing in terms of tools? And again, that's targeted at broad populations, including hopefully uh, more diverse populations. So we are open and looking for participants in these things this summer. Okay, so hopefully everybody got the cards. I put that up there just to remind me to make sure I handed them out. Oh. Okay, there should be a stack somewhere. <laughs> okay, so the cards, again, these cards are general tips. We made these for everybody. Like, this is not geared for prostate cancer. The booklet, it, it will be fine for prostate cancer too. It's not contraindicated. But we tried to broaden it out because oftentimes people don't live just by themselves. You have a family. We like to promote wellness all around. And then the, um, the booklets, though, are targeted for men with prostate cancer. So in summary, right now, the data do suggest that a healthy diet, regular exercise, even a little bit or a lot, um, could really be beneficial for men to deter cancer progression after diagnosis. And to clarify, and I know other folks said this earlier, we recommend this in the context of treatments. This is not in lieu of, I heard someone else already cite the controversial, you know, the study that was published earlier this year, but... Um, this is, in, this is adjunctive. This is in addition to your great care that you're going to get from your oncologists and your surgeons. And we're working on trying to improve this and the reach of our studies for everybody. We thank you in advance for any for participation in the work. And just a note for folks to put perspective on this, all of these, the, all of these studies take a lot of time. But at this point, I just, if I, if I will give me a minute, I want to share that I think we're at a very interesting time in terms of understanding the potential impact of diet and exercise post-diagnosis for cancer survivorship. And if anyone in here is familiar with the Women's Health Initiative, which was looking at breast diet and breast cancer starting in the 1990s, it's a study where their initial results were null. Null, null, null. Doesn't, does not look like there's a benefit for breast cancer. They, they cited things like, well, women didn't really follow the diet. We never really hit our goals in terms of diet. 20 years later, it took a long time, 20 years later of follow-up, women who were randomized to that diet, which was eat a lot of fruits and veggies, be low fat, eat grains, had a breast cancer-specific death benefit. This is, news has been coming out over the last two or three years. So to me, we're not, we may not get to a stage where we can afford to do a big randomized clinical trial in another, for another cancer type. These things are expensive. Um, but I looked at those data, I was like, well, that's heartening. It took a long time, but it was heartening. So for me, I feel better than I used to even like five years ago to say I think it might benefit you. So with that, thank all my colleagues and all the participants. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jim. That was really terrific. And there's a bunch of really good questions here. I think I'm going to pick a couple, and then uh, hopefully there'll be time to grab June uh, before she has to take off and maybe ask some more uh, outside of the formal session. So first question is, can you define what our process meets, and is just avoiding nitrates uh, enough? That's a loaded question. So the question is avoiding processed meats. So yes, typically processed meats are things that say, they have nitrates and nitrites in them. WHO put those on a carcinogen list a couple years ago. I forget exactly when. Um, but is it enough to avoid that and do with the uncured? 
it's a better step, is what I, I would, I would lean that way as a, at a personal level, that's what I look for if I'm shopping. Um, and every now and then, I'd my, yeah, I've got a son who likes salami. So, <laughs> it's like, you can only have so many arguments in your day. <laughs> okay, I got the uncured, really expensive one. But the other thing, so I can't guarantee. It's one better step, it's probably better not to do it. <laughs> not to have the processed meat at all. But uncured and the, avoid the nitrates and nitrites. One thing people did tell me, and you can talk to Greta, who helped with the book, there are some natural, natural curing things that we're not sure are that better. So sometimes if they got, they're like technically cured with celery extract, I'm not sure that's necessarily better. So there's like that's to be determined research-wise. This is a question we get a lot in the clinic. Can you comment on a low-carb and ketogenic diet as it relates to prostate cancer patients? Mm. <laughs> or if you don't want to, if you want to abstain, then you can abstain. That's a, I would recommend if someone it's look in the book first of all. I think I think Greta addresses that because that is a very common question. Um, those things are tricky. So any any bigger nutritional change, I really do believe you should talk to a nutritionist at least for an initial consult because every individual is different and has other needs besides just prostate cancer. And so I, I'm going to pass on that yeah, no, specifically. I, would, I mean, I would echo that the nutrition group here really is fantastic. And so I, you know, refer a lot of my patients over to Greta and her group. You know, they're really terrific. I got two questions on lycopene supplements and your thoughts. Yeah, lycopene. So lycopene is a carotenoid. It's rich in red-colored fruits and vegetables, particularly in tomato products. Um, it's had a long and interesting history. So in the mid-90s, some of the earliest dietary studies looking at diet and prostate cancer singled out tomatoes as a potential protective factor for preventing the development of prostate cancer. A lot of studies published since then focused on tomatoes or lycopene on both sides of the fence. Nothing, not that it's going to harm you, but um, whether or not this, the benefit is there. I would say I think there's potentially a benefit. Some of the latest data that I see is that it's, it might actually be beneficial for people with a specific type of uh, mutation in their tumors, so we're sort of narrowing down uh, where we think this is helpful. It is why we put Eat Cooked Tomatoes in our recommendations. Great. Thanks, Jim. Thank You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.